Lord Jesus. We worship you, Lord God. We praise your mighty name here today, Lord Jesus. We sing holy, holy, holy are you, Lord God, because he is a great God. A mighty, powerful king is our God here today. Hallelujah. 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 He is wonderful. He is mighty. He is powerful king. None other like my God. Amen. Let's give him one more hand clap of praise here this morning. Lord, thank you for your presence, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for what we feel in the house here today, that you move amongst us, Lord God, preparing us for your word, Lord God. We clap our hands unto you, unto praise unto your name here today, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Love what I feel in the house of the Lord here today. Kids, men, you may be dismissed. Our youth classes, you may be dismissed at this time. Everyone else, we go ahead and get our Bibles. We're going to turn right to the word of God here today. Go ahead and turn our Bibles to Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 46, and then we'll be turning to Matthew 6. So Matthew 13 first. Glad to see everyone in the house of the Lord. Love being with the people of God here today. Amen. Here we go. We have it on the screen there. Matthew 13. Verse 44 through 46 says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a treasure hidden in a field, that which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth, and selleth all that he had, and buyeth that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, and whom, when he hath found one pearl of great price, went, sold all that he had, and he bought it. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21 says, Lay not up your treasures. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor death can corrupt. And where, for, for when we, sorry, for where the thieves not uh, break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be be also. Today I want to speak on the topic of our perception of value. Our perception of value. Let's pray for the Lord here today one more time. Heavenly Father, I pray as we move into this time of ministering the word, Lord, I pray that you would anoint my mind, Lord Jesus, to speak the word unto this congregation. I pray that this congregation, Lord, their hearts and their minds would be open unto you, Lord. Be sensitive to receive what you've given here today, Lord, to hear from your word, to glean from it what you want for us, to have our lives altered or changed or our perceptions, Lord God. Let it be moved closer towards what you want to see, what you want to hear, I pray, in the house today. And we give you all the praise. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And let the church say amen. Amen. You are, you can be seated in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In our first scripture text here, we see that Jesus is teaching two of these seven parables about the kingdom of God. He's teaching them to his disciples and also to a great multitude that was by the seashore. I thought it was interesting, Pastor, when I was reading this. I thought that he taught all of these to the multitude, that he was by the seaside and that he preached all these to the multitude. But he did not, in fact. In fact, he preached about five, four of them to the multitude, and he told them to go away. And he brought his disciples close to him. They went into a house, and he preached these unto his disciples. He didn't preach them into the multitude because I don't think they would have understood them anyways. They weren't for the multitudes. They were for those that were following after him, those that had already sacrificed their lives. 
In the first verse, he compares the kingdom of heaven like unto a treasure hidden in a field. And it's found by a man who went, he sold all he had and bought the entire field so he could have the treasure. And in this first one, uh, we don't know the situation surrounding what the man was doing when he found the treasure. The Bible doesn't say. He could have been working in the field and was digging, maybe working someone else's field, and he, and he dug it up and found this treasure unexpectedly. Um, he may have been snooping around, maybe being where he shouldn't have been and found the treasure, and he, but he knew that he had to have it. The important thing is the Bible doesn't say it because it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter how they stumbled upon this treasure. The point is they recognized the value of what that treasure was. Just like us, when we were sinners, it doesn't necessarily matter for each and every one of us how we were introduced or how we found Christ. The point is that we found him, amen? <laughs> the point is that we are here, that we found him. Those circumstances then become our testimony. We then have a testimony behind us that we can say, well, let me tell you what God's done for me. Let me tell you how I was introduced to the king, amen? But in the end, when we get to heaven, he's not going to say, well, how, who did you hear it from? Okay, well, where were you? Well, where were you in this? No, it matters that, Lord, I found you, and I'm never going to let go. Amen? Amen. We found it, and we're never going to let go. In the second scripture, Jesus compares the kingdom of heaven to a merchant man. He's finding, searching for valuable pearls, and when he found the one pearl that he had to have. Similar to the man in the first scripture, he also went. He sold all that he had, everything that he had, and he bought that one pearl. So while the means in these two stories are the, the, uh, coming across these valuable items, one the treasure, one the great pearl, the circumstances are different. But there was one was unexpectedly found. They just stumbled upon it. One, they were diligently searching, and they found it. There are two things that I see that they had in common here. First of all, both of these men, they had to take decisive action to acquire them. Decisive action. Discovering the treasure wasn't the whole thing. They could have stopped right there. The man found a great treasure and was like, that's awesome. And not do anything about it. The pearl, the man that was searching for the great pearl, he could have found that great pearl. Like, man, that would have been awesome if I had that. I, I discovered it. But, you know, I don't really have time to buy that pearl right now. Maybe I'll come back in a two weeks and hopefully it's still there. Amen. They didn't obtain it just by discovering it. They had to take decisive action. They had to sell all their land. They sold everything they had. And once they sold it, they went back and bought it. And it was only through these actions that they came into possession of these valuables. Jesus didn't say the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a birthday gift in which one gives you and you so graciously receive it and you had to do no work for it. No, he didn't say that. He didn't say that the kingdom of heaven is likened to a stimulus check from the government that you may or may not get. And he didn't do anything to deserve it, but they give it unto you. No, he didn't say that either. Nothing was forcing the men to obtain this treasure. There was no outside force that said, you have to do this now or else. No, they recognized the value of what they saw. And then they took decisive action saying, I see the value. Now I know what I have to do to obtain this thing. I know what I had to do to obtain this treasure. They were faced with unique opportunities which required major action lest the opportunity be lost. You ever had that in your life where you had an opportunity, looking back like, man, I wish I would have done that thing. Like, you know, hindsight's 2020, right? You can always see something pass. But when it's right in front of you, sometimes it's like, uh, I, uh, I don't know, should I? No. They immediately recognized it, and their lives were changed because of it. 
Number two, both men, as I just mentioned, they immediately realized that value. The Bible doesn't say that once they found the great pearl or once they found the treasure that they had an appraiser come and tell them what the value is. They didn't say, well, let me call my friend, you know, Bob over here. Bob's great to know about these treasures. Bob, come tell me about these things. Let me, let me know. They didn't go online and compare with Amazon and Walmart, Best Buy, trying to see how much everyone else thought the item was going to go for. No, no, they didn't see that. They immediately knew what that value was. They came across something that was going to change their life forever, and they were willing to sell all of their earthly goods because they knew what, it was to, what it's going to take to obtain it and that it was worth it. The kingdom of heaven is likened unto that. We can sell everything that we have. Not saying that we have to go and, and get everything, but what are we willing to sacrifice for that? Amen? What are we going to be like these men and recognize the value of the kingdom of God? It's this perception of value, this immediately uh, understanding, and I want to go into a little bit deeper this morning. So I brought a book up here. A teacher recommended this to me. It's called uh, Sway, The Irresistible Pull of Irrational Behavior. Uh, It's an interesting book. It basically is talking about um, uh, irrational behavior that human beings will, will go through even though Looking back at someone, someone rationally looking at it, so that you should have never done that. But there are psychological factors that play that make us do that irrational thing, even though it makes no sense. Um, it's a very interesting read. It's a very fascinating read. Um, disclaimer, I haven't finished it yet. So if you read it and there's something that's not great in it, don't come blame me because I haven't finished it all. So I don't get my stamp of approval on it yet, but it's, so far it is an interesting read, to say the least. Um, but there are two stories in here that I wanted to share with you as it relates to these two parables because I think it's an interesting contrast between the men that are in the parables and the men that are in this book. First story, and you may have heard these before. If you have, just go along with me. Don't tell your neighbor the ending yet. It's a surprise. Um, the first story goes, in Washington, D.C., on January in 2007, a subway station was about to be filled with music. At exactly 7.51 a.m. during rush hour, an ordinary-looking man dressed in jeans, wearing a ball cap, nonchalantly took out his $3.5 million Stradivarius violin and got ready to play. The man was Joshua Bell, one of the finest violinists alive, who regularly performed to sold-out crowds in the best of concert halls. Unbeknownst to any of the commuters, though, Bell was taking part in an undercover field study conducted by the Washington Post. Bell's subway performance started with Bach sonatas, which was one of the most challenging pieces ever composed for that instrument. Over the next 43 minutes, the concert continued, but on that January morning, there was no thunderous applause. There was no camera flashing. He was one of the best musicians in the world playing in the subway station for free, but no one seemed to care. Of the 1,097 people who walked by, hardly anybody stopped. One man listened for a few minutes. A couple of kids kind of stared and went on their way. And one woman who actually recognized who the violinist was gasped in disbelief and stood there the whole time in awe. Now, the commuters might have been in a hurry. They might have had uh, in a hurry to pay attention to Bell, but clearly had there been news cameras that were around, people would have known that this man was a virtuoso, and at least a few people would have stopped to listen. But I think about how Joshua Bell appeared the subway, how, uh, how Joshua Bell appeared to the subway riders. He wasn't dressed in formal attire. He stood on the stage with no, he stood on no stage, no intents, no purposes. He looked like your average run-of-the-mill street performer. And even though he didn't sound like a mediocre violinist, he sure did look the part. 
without realizing that commuters attributed the value they perceived, the baseball cap, the jeans, the subway venue, to be a quality of the performance. As they passed by Bell, most subway riders didn't even glance in his direction. Instead of hearing an outstanding concert, they heard street music. You see, the people that day, they were witnessing a master operating in his craft. He was operating his craft, performing one of the most difficult tasks in that craft, but they didn't see the value in it because he looked just like any other street performer that they had seen in the past. And they was doing what a street performer does. They missed it. It's very similar in the story that this man, and when reading it, actually reminded me a lot of the man Jesus. To the man Jesus in the Bible, he was just a carpenter. In fact, when he went to his own country and tried to preach to them, they said, who is this guy? He's a carpenter. Don't we know Mary? Don't we know his brothers? We know his sisters? Like, who, who is this guy? He's telling us what, what God's going to do. Are you kidding me? And he said that's why he couldn't be received in his own country. He did not many works because of their unbelief. People perceived him as just what they saw. was just a man who's talking all these crazy things and, and doing miracles, but how is he doing them? Some saying that he was possessed of the devil. Some saying it was of Satan. They didn't recognize the value that he was giving, that he was God incarnate on earth. They missed it because of their perception of value. The second story goes, there's one of uh, Nathan Handworker, went into business in 1916. The Polish immigrant decided that he was going to undercut the competition. Everybody else was charging 10 cents for the Coney Island meal, the hot dog. So Handworker priced the dogs that he made from his wife's old-time recipe at a mere 5 cents. Despite the fact that his hot dogs were every bit as delicious as any other competitions on the street, and they were made from real beef, he attracted no customers. Visitors to Coney Island viewed these mysterious half-priced dogs as inferior and wondered what cheap, substandard ingredients had gone into that recipe. It didn't help even when Handworker, he offered free pickles or he offered a free root beer to go along with the hot dog. It actually pushed sales even lower. People thought he was pretty desperate. Sales remained flat, if anything, for that. Giving away freebies, they cemented that value of attribution. It wasn't until Handworker came up with a clever little ploy that really his sales started to take off. He went to the nearby hospital, and he got to talking with some of the doctors and said, hey, why don't you come over for lunch? Come over to my stand. All I ask is I'll give you free food, but all I ask is you wear your lab coat and you wear your stethoscope and you come eat in front of my stand. Because people place a high value on physicians, customer fi customers figured if doctors were eating them, well, then that food has got to be good. So that way they would soon start buying from Handworker and his famous, Nathan's famous hot dogs took off. It just makes you wonder how many times we miss out on something worthwhile because of preconceptions of its value. It's pretty interesting, huh? That was two of the stories there. There's a lot more that's in there. It's rocking my world right now. Um, the interesting thing that I found between these two stories, a man, a musician that's in the, the subway, and Nathan trying to sell his hot dogs but people didn't perceive the value, is that the people in these two stories, they acted the exact opposite of the men Jesus spoke about in his parables. Knowingly or unknowingly, the, they immediately misjudged the value of the situation or the object that they perceived. Similarly, on a spiritual level, it makes me wonder how many times in our lives do we miss out on the miraculous because we're too focused on what we perceive as mundane. 
I'm going to say that one more time because that that's good. Uh, how many times in our lives do we miss out on the miraculous because we're too focused on what we perceive as just the run-of-the-mill mundane? God has used mundane things in miraculous times all throughout the Bible. The people didn't perceive the value of what they were, but God said, I'm going to take this ordinary thing and I'm going to make it extraordinary. We didn't perceive the value. So what do I mean by that? I mean that we can be so focused on earthly things and our possessions and our daily grind that each and every one of us has that we can miss out on opportunities that God has to show us the miraculous. But sometimes we're not spiritually, spiritually sensitive enough. And I am guilty of this as well. You see, everyone may just see, maybe they see a waitress that's at a job, and she just looks like she's pretty stressed out. She's having a hard time. And people just say, well, it's the stress of the job. But maybe God has a word for her. Maybe God has a word for her that he wants to give her that's going to change her life and do a miracle in her life. But we're just perceiving it as, well, she better get her stress under control because I need my food right now. We see it as mundane. God sees it as miraculous. We don't perceive the value. Or maybe it's just we come into church. As you know, it's, quote, just another Sunday morning. It's just another, I'm going to go to church. I'm going to hear some song. I'm going to play, you know, sing some songs. I'm going to hear a message. And we think about it as just another one. And we go through the motions and we miss out on an opportunity because we weren't sensitive enough. God, what do you have for me today? I don't want to just go through the motions. I want to hear the word. I want to sing praises unto you and be sensitive to know what do you want to do in the atmosphere here today that we've come together. Because it's, every service is not just a mundane service. Every service is an opportunity that we can have encounter with our God. We incorrectly perceive the value in the people or the situation like God sees. This is why you've heard people pray, God, let me see with your eyes. Let me hear with your ears. Because I'm looking through my carnal eyes. I'm listening with my carnal ears. And I see a situation. But God, let me, let me understand it with your eyes. What do you see, God, that I don't see? Let me be sensitive enough that I can intervene in these, in these uh, services or in these situations in a miraculous way. And not just to say, oh, I'm, I'm so sensitive. I'm so spirit. No, not because of that. Because God wants to change lives. God wants to uh, win the loss. And he can do it if we don't see it as mundane, if we don't lose the value of them. Paul, for one, understood the value of Christ. He penned Philippians 3, 7 through 11. But what, but what things were gained to me, those I counted as loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things for the loss of the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them as dung, that I might win Christ. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. That I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means that I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Knowing Christ, being a part of God's kingdom is to be valued above all else. Entering the kingdom is worth giving up everything. When living a life with God at its center costs you all the eternal joy and the insurmountable value of being part of the kingdom is worth it all. This, is, and this was writing, this uh, scriptures I read is coming from Paul. And Paul is not one that just lived in the laps of luxury. For those of you that don't know, Paul been through some things. 
In 2 Corinthians 11, 24 through 27, he says, Of the Jews, five times received I 40 stripes, save one. Thrice I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Thrice I, I suffered shipwreck. You think once would be enough. Three times I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I was in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils of false brethren, in weariness, in painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Paul knew about suffering. And he still penned, even though I suffered all these things, it's still worth it. It's still worth it. Most of us in America today, we haven't gone through a tenth of what Paul has gone through. It is my personal belief, and I'd say my personal, this is not script, it's my personal belief as Christians living in the 21st century in America, it can be very easy for us to mistake the value of things because we have it so good. Because we have it so good. We have we mistaken the value of reading the Bible? Something simple as just reading the Bible. In America, it's extremely simple to get to read the Bible if you really want to. If you really, really wanted to read the Bible, there's pretty much nothing stopping you at this point. It's the number one selling book of all time. It has been for so long, they took it off the list. They said, we, you're just going to be at the top of the list every single year. So we, we get it. Bible's number one. Everyone else fights for number two. And then they list that as number one. But the Bible's number one selling book of all time. It can be read on any smartphone, any computer, any tablet, any smart fridge, whatever you want. You can read the Bible on it. Many churches, just like this one, will buy extra Bibles to give them out for free for people that want them. It's so easy to, for us in here to read and have access to God's word. But that's not the case across all places. That's not the case across other countries. In some countries, owning a Bible could get you killed. Literally. You could carry the Bible in some places that they see you, they identify you as Christian. That's warrants for death. They see you on the street, they could take you in. In other countries, owning a Bible, maybe you just get one in your lifetime because a missionary came to a village and passed out some Bibles. And you got one as one of your Bibles. And you don't know when that missionary was going to be back again. You hold on to it. You hope that nothing got, that pages weren't ripped out or that it got wet or anything happened because that was it. If you didn't have it, that was the only access that you had to God's word. You don't know when the next time you might be able to read it. If access was not so readily available, maybe we would value it more, right? And I'm not saying that people here are, are misvalued. I'm just, I'm just getting us to think this morning about things that we, are we mistaking the value of these things? Maybe we should read the Bible like it's the last one we're ever going to get. If it goes tomorrow, if you lose this one, it's it. It's over. No more access. That is it. Pastor kind of stole my thunder here this morning, but have we mistaken the value of coming to church together? Of coming to church together? I know, if anything, this pandemic has separated us into our own bubbles, and it's done a work on this world and, and in the church as well. But I pray that by having churches temporarily moved to virtual services, it's really shown us the value of coming together in the house of the Lord. And being together with one another and worshiping. And I'm not saying, like as Pastor said, I'm not saying we throw away precautions and we throw away everything to the wind. No, 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 don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm saying that by being out from one another and being separated, being isolated, telling you can't do this right now. You can't do this. It makes us that much more. We'll be like, I want to be with people of God. Many of you may not know this. Personally, I am an introvert. You may not think it, but I am. I promise you. Uh, I, I am an introvert. And so for me, chilling by myself, I am perfectly fine. I, am an only, I was an only child. I can deal with it. Not a problem. 
Uh, but after a couple of services of missing out, even going on vacation or coming back, I miss you all. <laughs> I miss being with the folks, with the people of God and being able to fellowship with them and, and worship together corporately. Because there's something different about being together and worshiping God together. And I pray that we never lose sight of that value of coming together. Because just like in other places, just in other churches, they can't have church like this. They have to meet in underground churches. They have to hide in secret in people's houses just saying, oh, we're just having dinner. Just having dinner. Then they secretly bring out their Bibles and talk in hushed and quiet tones because you could be murdered for it. You could be killed for it. And here in America, thankfully, so far, we have the ability to do this, to be together. I mean, we never lose sight of that. We never lose sight. Hebrews 10.25, it says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the days approaching. And so much more as you see the days approaching. I don't know about you, but I see the days approaching. <laughs> I see the days approaching in the coming times, in the coming years. And I know people have been saying, oh, God's coming. He is coming. And every day we kind of look for more towards the signs of him coming. And so it says even more we should exhort one another more because we need it. The more that it gets closer, the harder it gets, the more we need each other to lift each other up for one another and not separate ourselves as we can. Today we need each other more than ever. Lost, lastly, have we mistaken the value of lost souls? With this country being so divided right now because of various influences and politics and, and loud voices, it's, it's very easy for us to, get, to fall into the trap of thinking of an of a us versus them mentality in any, in any group, in any situation. If you disagree with us, well, that's, this is us, and then that's you, and don't cross the line because that's us and you. It's very easy to get in that mentality. However, we cannot lose sight of the fact that the us, whichever us you're a part of, and the them, whichever part of, we're all human beings. We're all the same in God's eyes. Because our opinions may differ, it doesn't matter because we're all souls in God's eyes. God still sees us all as children. And we can't lose sight of they are less value to God because I differ in opinion from them. On whatever the case may be. They are still children of God. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It doesn't say some have sinned. It doesn't say those that have, you know, are, are of the other opinion than I have have sinned. Though some may want to, you know, put that in the Bible. If they don't agree with me, those are the sinners. No, that's not necessarily the case. The Bible says all have sinned and have come short of the glory of God. We all need mercy. We all need mercy from God and others in our lives. Even the angels knew the value of the lost. In Luke 15, 10, it says, I tell you there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. It doesn't say I, the angels did with a whole country. No, one sinner, one sheep, one lamb that God went over. When a sinner repents, the angels rejoice. How much more should we when we know the value of that person in God's eyes? When we don't just look at them as a lesser human being or a lesser, you know, other person, they're a lost soul that needs God. And how can we reach them? How can I make a difference in their life? Even though I may not agree with them, fine, but they are still a soul, a soul that needs God. The lost are part of the great commission that was given in Matthew 28, 19 to 20. It says, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. 
Go and teach everyone and all that I have commanded you. He didn't just say go tell the Jews. He didn't just say go tell the Gentiles. That's not for them. This is for, no. He said go and teach all nations. Every race, every nation, every creed, every color, every bond or free, rich or poor, it does not matter. They need Jesus. They need Jesus. May we never lose sense of that value until that those lost souls, that they have the kingdom of God. And we can tell them, hey, I have a great treasure. I know of someone that can change your life. I know someone that can make your life better. And it's not going to be me, but I can introduce you. I can tell you. I can show you the way. I these two hands. I, you know, I can give money. I can do earthly things. But it doesn't matter. Until I introduce you to the king, let him take control of your life. Amen. Finally, I want him to come back to these two parables that we mentioned at the beginning. You know, it's, it's really amazing about both of these parables. A man found a treasure in a field. How many others walked by that field without thinking that anything could have been hidden there? One man found the treasure, and he went back. But I wonder in that field, if there's a people just looking by, be like, oh, it's a field. Yeah, okay. One went unexpectedly and found it. How many people else went by? The man who purchased the pearl, he bought it from someone. Why would that person, one, willing to sell such a valuable thing, but why didn't anybody else see the value? That one found that one. He was searching diligently and found that one pearl. That was the one. And maybe the people didn't know what the value was. Like, this guy's selling everything. He's going to give me all. He, he maybe did like, you know, you're asking for a dollar and I'll, I'll give you a thousand. Someone's like, something's off. What, what, what do you know that I don't know? What are you receiving, right? But he bought everything that he had so he could get that one pearl. Why could no one else see the value? But you see, Jesus is telling us the spiritual truths here that we're looking for. He is in the world all around us now. All we need is the eyes and the ears to hear him. Here is Jesus telling these parables. God incarnate, bringing God's word about God's kingdom, about God's grace to earth. He was surrounded by so many, but they all did not recognize him. He's telling us, don't miss out. Pay attention. You see these parables, Jesus is explaining the kingdom of heaven. And in this kingdom, God owns everything. He is the king. He is the ruler. That's why we praise him as such. God, everything in this world, you've, you've created this world. You've given us these things. We recognize it as such. That's why it's necessary for those that wish to follow Jesus to give up their lives for his sake. But today, the radical idea sometimes is, is kind of far from some Christians. They may go to church, may act like nice people, and they expect to get to, God, to, get to heaven when God, uh, when, when God uh, grants them their death. But if we're to be honest, Christ was not really the center of their life. He had, they haven't really given up everything to, to serve him. Maybe they're holding something back. But that's not the gospel, as I mentioned, that Jesus mentioned. He, he did not mention, he said they sold everything they had. They give everything unto the Lord. It could be a modern gospel of convenience, but it's not what Jesus preached. It's not what he said in his word. In the end, it may just leave a person as empty as if he really never found God. Today, Jesus in these parables calls you, and he calls me, to a place of radical commitment, a radical, not being on the fence, not just being like, well, I'll just show up and we'll see what happens. No, a radical saying, God, no matter what it takes, I'm going to follow you. I am willing to do this because I believe in you. To put it simply, are we all in? Are we all, do we see the value of eternal life? Even though it's a, it's a concept in our minds, and in, in our minds we can't, like her psychologist says, we can't fathom eternity. We can't rap art like you know it's, it's forever like okay well forever like no forever forever like 
forever. Like our, our minds can't wrap our minds around that. But it's going to be an eternal kingdom with God. And it's worth it all. It's like that song, someday it's going to be worth it all. It's going to be worth it all. Matthew 10, 39 says, whoever finds his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Will find it. So by now you're probably thinking to yourself, well, Brother Heil, if we don't want to miss out and we want to go all in and, and value things as God values them, well, then we need to know what does God value, right? And that's a very good question. I'm very glad that you all asked. I appreciate that. I don't care what Brother Brian says. I think you guys are a great congregation. <laughs> so what does God value? It's very simple. It's very simple. God values his most beloved creation. He values us. Both sinner and saint, poor and rich, bond and free. That's why he gave his life for you. And he gave his life for me. You see, God only knew that his death could be the place his death could pay the price for our redemption. There could be no other substitute. There was, he gave them for the Old Testament laws of sacrifice, but he knew to roll the sins, to be able to, to uh, give us a path of grace, he had to come to earth and he had to die. God came down, took on the form of a man called Jesus, went to the cross and died for our sins, and he rose again on the third day. That's the gospel. God died for you and God died for me. He died for every man, woman, as I said earlier, every race, every culture, in every nation. That's why our, at the UP side, the whole gospel to the whole world. The whole gospel to the whole world. God loves you so much that he became man, experienced the worst rejection that a man could experience, and he took it upon himself. Your sin, my sin, your guilt, my guilt. God experienced the hopelessness of eternal damnation for a few moments on the cross. He felt the pain and the agony of separation from all that is good and holy. He felt the condemnation and experienced the flames of hell for a moment on the cross. And he did it all because he values his creation. Because he loves each and every one of us. Because he values us, we are given the choice to choose. We have the ability to choose you. No devil in hell can keep you from choosing God. They can't do it. No devil in hell can force you away from God as well. No temptation has the power to force you into sin. It's our choice. As I sometimes will tell my kids, this was on you. This is on you, meaning there are certain things in this world that we can control, but there are other things that we can. And the things that we can, it's on us and how we act and how we respond to the gospel. How we take personal responsibility, it's on us. God's just at the door. You have to open the door. He's not going to be like the SWAT team and kick it down. He's not going to ram it in. No. He stands at the door and he knocks. Because God died on that cross he shed his own blood. We have a choice. The question is, what will we choose? What will we choose? Jesus paid the price to buy back his greatest prize, which is us. Have you accepted Jesus' offer today? Have we recognized the value of what Christ did on the cross for salvation? Can we all stand here? Let the musicians and the praise singers go ahead and come up. The question is, will you give him your life? Will you give him your love? Will you give him your time?
Will you give here all in return for his love for you? As so much as we should give unto God because he has given unto us. You have the ability. You have the ability to choose here and now because he purchased that ability 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago, he was looking forward at a time when you may be at a church service just like this. At a time in the situation where you have an opportunity to make a choice about what you're going to do. And it's very simple. Number one, all you have to do is repent. Repent of your sins. What does that mean? It means that you truly are sorry for the things that you've done in your life. That you're truly sorry about the sins that you've committed, whether they were knowing or unknowing you, you are sorry for them and you tell God that you are sorry, how you're not going to return to the old ways that you've done wrong. You make up your mind that you're not going to return to your sinful lifestyle. After you've repented, we have a baptismal tank. Last time I checked, it was full. We're good. We're good. It's cold, but it's water. Uh, we have a baptismal tank, though. I said there's been worse. You can be baptized today in Jesus' name. It's your choice. No one's holding you back if you want to be baptized. You have baptized, you go down in the water, you come up so clean. It's God applies his name to you as you're washed in the water. You can then call on the name of Jesus and receive his Holy Spirit. Amen. His Spirit can change your life. If you're under the sound of my voice this morning and you haven't done that today, Today's your opportunity. Today's the opportunity. Don't let today pass you by without knowing, saying, I didn't know. Someone didn't tell me. The preacher never explained to me what the word said. When Peter spoke and said, repent, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Don't miss out your preconceptions of its value in your life, of the Holy Spirit inside your life. If you're under the sound of my voice and you've done that today, that's great. I'm so thankful that you're still here, that you're still worshiping and praising God. You're still walking in the faith. If that's the case, I ask you today that you pray that God helps you or continues to help you perceive the value in our everyday situations, in the lost souls, in situations that we, that we may be sensitive to affect, to know when people are ready to hear the word. Maybe if they're screaming about you because of different opinions, maybe that's not the time to do it. But let you be sensitive to say, let me know an opportunity, God, to talk to someone about you. Because we need Jesus. Church, we need Jesus. We need it more than ever before. And we need it if we need it. The lost need it even much more. Because who knows what kind of hell on earth they may be going through, the turmoil and hurt in their lives. And they have no one to turn to, but we can introduce them to the master. So I pray as the, as the praise singers come and as we sing this song and as we pray it to the Lord, I pray we take some time. If you haven't repented, we can all repent together and pray that God opens our eyes, that we may see with God's eyes, that we may hear with God's ears, that we be sensitive in his spirit to say, Lord, I want to see what you want to do. I want to hear as you want me to hear, God. Let me be your hands and your feet here today. Can we pray together? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Let's pray and lift our voices to the Lord here today. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus. You thought I was worth keeping. So you clean me up inside. 
Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word today, Lord Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Praise the Ilamanda Yeka. Nimo Kosanda Yekia. Nilo Mohoshinde Ye. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. I'm holding a pearl of great price in my hand right here. We've got this and many more. If there happens to be anybody in the house that needs a Bible, there's no cost for this. Free of charge. First taker. I've got this and many more. If you don't want to run up here right now, come see me after, after church. This word is more valuable than anything that you can possess in your life. Because it's not just a book here. It's the God of the word. There's, there's words on a printed page here. But in the beginning was the word, that logos, that thought. And that word was with God, and the word was God, and that word was made flesh. Jesus Christ is the living word. Praise God, and we worship him today. Praise God. In Jesus' name, thank you everyone for being here this morning. Thank you to everybody who is uh, tuned in.